0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode edition of the Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast. Um, Just a quick uh, rundown of where you can find us. We have an email address, which is fightthegoodfight10 at yahoo.com. We can also be reached on Facebook at, fill in, fill in. It is Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast on Facebook. On Facebook. So we strongly encourage to email. We'll have a Twitter Account. We already have a Twitter account, a handle pretty soon for you. We're still, at this stage, we're still kind of new to this. We're about, what, six or seven podcasts in. We're yeah. now right in the middle of our um, episode seven. Episode seven, good deal. We're uh, now in part three of our trilogy on righteousness. We started out with just a definition of righteousness. Hope you listen to that one. And the last episode was about the two great powers of God's righteousness. And just to kind of uh, springboard into that, we talked about a lot of things, but um, essentially the two great powers of God's righteousness exist in uh, the Ten Commandments and Jesus Christ. He gave us two witnesses uh, that are the same as saying two powers of righteousness, righteousness or witness to that righteousness, uh, which is important. And today we're going to tackle uh, three miracles of salvation. The three miracles concerning the salvation of a sinful soul, and they're all miracles of righteousness. All right, so hopping right in today, we're going to be discussing the three miracles regarding the salvation of a soul. We could go on and on about uh, what people are teaching about salvation. Probably argue everything from you know the baptismal regeneration to the decision for Jesus Christ and. Certainly man plays a role in that, but um, anyone who's redeemed and saved, they're redeemed and they're saved by the power of God's righteousness. And it takes, uh, we're going to look at three miracles of righteousness uh, for the salvation and the sanctification, actually, of any believer. So we're going to pick it up in the book of John. We're going to try to stay as much in the scriptures as we can. Um, Gospel of John, uh, chapter 16, verses 7 through 11 record this nevertheless i tell you the truth it is expedient for you that i go away for if i go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if i depart i will send him unto you and when he has come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because i go to my father and you see me no more And of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Uh, Those are loaded verses, and there's a lot of things we could unpack out of there. But what we want to concentrate on today is the first miracle required for the salvation of a soul. And we're going to call that miracle the miracle of Holy Spirit conviction. Before anyone can receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, before anyone can be filled with the Spirit or have any gifts of the Spirit or be redeemed, there must be this miracle of conviction that the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. I'm sitting around the table with the three gents that I know have experienced that miracle because it, it it leads a man to repentance. If we were to kind of backtrack a little bit from uh, last the last episode of these powers of God's righteousness and and the Ten Commandments are a power of God's righteousness that have the power to condemn all sin in the flesh. They They By the law is the knowledge of sin, and we need to use the Ten Commandments as the power that convicts a sinner that they are unrighteous. So the first miracle is the miracle conviction, and how it involves righteousness is that the Holy Spirit proves by the fact that the world proves, the scripture records in every human conscience, bears witness to that we are unrighteous people, and that must be proven and not just proven, it must be confirmed by this miracle of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, so that, that being said, and that being true, um, the point should come up that what's that look like practically in our churches. We, we certainly don't want to give anybody the idea that we're to sit around in a pew or anywhere else waiting for the Holy Spirit to move and convict us. Um, we're going to talk about what our role is, is, is the church as ministers as servants, as disciples, as evangelists, what is our role in in facilitating this with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the power of God's righteousness that convicts a person of their sin, of their unrighteousness in the person of the Holy Spirit. But let's talk about what it looks like practically. If we're in a church, Jace, Ethan, Dylan, and we're going to quote-unquote preach the gospel, which now that frankly, has been so diluted, it's hard to even know what that means anymore. But when we have a discussion on conviction of the Holy Spirit, what is our what is our part in that? Are there any questions about that or any comments about what is the church's, the preacher's part in that?
1: So the part from the preacher obviously is to present the gospel that is truth here, and we have that repentance and faith. You know, we have to make sure that we let people know that accepting Christ that in itself means nothing. We have to make sure people know that you know, the devil himself accepts Christ. What does that mean to accept Christ? What we really need is people to repent from their sins and trust in God, repent and believe. And we know that faith is trust and nothing more. We need to trust in Christ and repent of our sins. And that's huge. And this is the Holy Spirit moving in someone in the sense that apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But it is up to the individual to, to hear that and to let that sink in and to really surrender those things and obey to repent and trust in Christ. So, we have a we have two sides of the coin. We have the preacher, then we have there's two responsibilities here. We have the side of the, the preacher whoever is presenting the gospel to someone and then we have the side of whoever is on the receipt recipient, who is the recipient of this. And um, each of them have responsibilities. Yeah, when
2: I when I think about um this specific miracle and salvation um, I think about Ray Comfort and how he kind of does his presentations um, he he always starts with asking people um, do you think you're a good person 99% of the people are like I'm a great person and then he, he walks them through the Ten Commandments and he says well have you ever lied, have you ever stolen have you ever dishonored your mother and your father you and he walks them through this and it at, by the end of it they're like I guess I'm not a good person, and he, he leads them to a place where at least they're willing to accept that they aren't a good person, which could possibly lead somebody to repentance. I think that's a, uh, an interesting way that he does that, using the, the the Ten Commandments and the power that comes from that.
0: We, we agree it's a miracle for someone to come to the knowledge that they are not a good person. The Bible would use stronger language. We are desperately wicked, and the heart of man is desperately wicked. There is no good thing that dwells in the flesh what we consider a miracle of the holy spirit a miracle of righteousness for a man to admit that because that's exactly what the bible teaches the first miracle before a person is miraculously redeemed and saved and this huge burden taken off there's a miracle that's not the, the, the world in our flesh in the powers of human understanding human knowledge human intelligence it is not there's not a power that exists in the in the natural world that can bring a person to accept the truth that they are unrighteous and they are not good people. That's what we're talking about, and that's the practical side, Ethan, that mm-hmm. it takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit, and I, and we can break down exactly how it works. For example, most of us live our lives, and I was in my 20s when I got saved, and I've been through a little bit, but people in their 30s, 40s, 50s that are redeemed, you develop over the years an incredible power to justify and rationalize the things that you do. The bad things you do, the sin you do, young people, old people, we're sinning and we our mind is an incredible, has an incredible power to rationalize and to justify the bad things we do. The miracle of the Holy Spirit conviction of righteousness is when the Holy Spirit, when you do so many bad things and the Holy Spirit will take all that stuff in your mind that you're rationalizing and frankly, he'll move it down into your heart. So I look at somebody that I stole from or somebody that I, I took advantage of or whatever, I tend to rationalize that uh, I had a reason to do that. And they're really, they really had it coming, so to speak. When the Holy Spirit moves into your heart, you start seeing an empathetic, compassionate view that, oh my gosh, I stole from Ethan and that took something away from his life and I harmed him. And the Holy Spirit starts convicting you. You've not only harmed Ethan, you've harmed your God who created you and treated you perfectly right. So I might be able to justify stealing from Ethan because he stole from me or did something wrong to me. But when the Holy Spirit... When this miracle conviction occurs, and the Holy Spirit says, "Well, you might be able to make up a, a, an excuse why you stole from Ethan or lied to him or abused him, but why are you mocking the God who created you? Because there's no, He's done nothing wrong, and that's the miracle. He moves it from your head to your heart, and that's where the confession comes from. That's what the Bible teaches in Romans, right? With the mouth, confession is made. The heart, with the heart, man believes. That's where it is born at. Then you confess in your mouth as you go. Does that kind of make sense to? Everybody from a practical side. So, we present to a bunch of sinners that they are condemned to eternal death, frankly, by the power and the righteousness of God's Ten Commandments. That proves that you're dead. We got to prove that to people. You can't just present it. You can't just tell them they're sinners. You've got to prove it. People are going to want you to prove it. And then the Holy Spirit will take that as as you start creating this controversy and, and, frankly, a little bit of angst and persecution, which we're called to absorb. And the Holy Spirit uses that to break people in our hearts. Because you're saved, you get a new heart, you don't get a new head. That's the part of sanctification. We're going to get to that in the third miracle. Uh, but that's really good You bring that up from a practical sense. Do you think that covers it pretty good for like a preliminary? Yeah,
1: I think that does. Um, it's it's interesting because on the flip side of that coin, we're talking about people in the world kind of justifying their actions. When, when you flip side that, I think most people inside the church have a hard time justifying their salvation. There you go. Um, which
0: is interesting. That is very interesting that you have people in the church, and we have to just you know, call it what it is. There's so many false conversions. You're going to have trouble vindicating your your salvation because there's so many false conversions that were not precipitated on repentance and this Holy Spirit, Spirit miracle conviction. We try to skip that miracle and go right to the miracle of the new birth. We try to get people to the altar, get them saved, accept Jesus Christ, take his love, Well, the bad news is nobody's going to experience that incredible love of God until they experience the fear of God. Mm -hmm. That's the way it works. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It leads a man, you know, that's what really brings a man to repentance. Now, the Bible says the love of God, that and that's true, but it's the fear that you've sinned against a holy God that loves you. When I understand that this God has loved me and created me, and I have sinned against him, spit in his face, mocked him, used his name in vain, and, and hurt him, I get a little scared about that. That fear like, oh, I better watch what I'm doing here. And then again, the Holy Spirit starts convicting you. And, you know, it's different. I'm sure it's different for everybody. Some people have these incredibly strong conversions because they're bad sinners. The Bible is clear. The worse sinner you are, number one, the better chance you are of being saved because the better chance you are, the better chance you have of acknowledging your sin. If you're just an average sinner, You're like, I'm not as bad as Ethan, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, but when you're a murderer, rapist, whatever, and you're like, I'm a terrible sinner, and somebody says, yeah, you're a sinner and you're going to hell, the worse you are, the better chance you have of that miracle taking hold. But that miracle has to be there of Holy Spirit conviction. I love what Ethan said about, then you get inside the church and people struggle with the assurance of their salvation, am I really saved? And we're probably going to cover that a little bit in, number, in miracle number two, but a lot in miracle number three. So um, we're just trying to make this kind of an overview. So if we were to put a little, tie a little ribbon on this and say the first miracle that's necessary for redemption is the miracle of Holy Spirit conviction. Got to have that. And the church's role in that is to preach the truth of God's righteousness in the Ten Commandments to make people stop trusting in them. Listen, there's nothing wrong with keeping God's law. There's something deadly wrong with trusting and keeping it, right? You shouldn't do wrong, Jayce. You shouldn't go around doing wrong, obviously, but you can't trust in your human ability to do right because you're not a righteous person. So we we have to tell and present to the human race, the unrighteous human race, the fact and truth, that they are unrighteous people and all stand in need of a Savior. And that's when we get into the, the redemption. So we're going to go, I guess our premise here is going to be that, that that a person's truly redeemed and not a carnal conversion. I have to call them carnal conversions where people make some decision for Christ and go down and get baptized and put on a T-shirt and become a Christ. That's a carnal conversion if there's not been any conviction of the Holy Spirit that I'm a worthless, wretched sinner, and now God has found me and chosen me and praise God, and I'm going to be full force 100%, that's a carnal conversion. And there's a lot of those in the church. Would you agree or disagree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of those in the big C church. Um, yes. I take that a step, a step further. It's just interesting that people in the world, um, and this is anecdotal. I haven't uh cast a large survey. I don't know what most people struggle with, if everyone thinks they're a good person or not. Half of me would go, well, if somebody asked me if I'm a good person, and even if I was struggling with um, confidence or my ego or anything like that, I'm not going to look at them and say I'm awful. I've got too much pride for that. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, I'm a good person. If Ray Comfort came to me with a mic. <laughs> so that doesn't surprise me that people say that. But taking it a step further, I think people that are actually Christians that have repented and are walking in repentance see their walk in repentance, and anytime time they stumble, they think, Oh my gosh, am I a Christian anymore? And they struggle with justifying their salvation that way. So it's just interesting how it flips and it it goes that there's really not a exact cookie cutter way to approach each individual. You kinda of have to look at that each some somebody might might need to hear something that you probably shouldn't say to someone else as far as um, what they need to hear about. God's grace. <laughs>
0: well, there, And there you go. Yeah. And that's that's where we'll go with the, the second miracle. And you bring up a very good point because there's an awful lot of confusion, even in the truly redeemed, mm-hmm. of how we walk in that. And the answer to every question there is is the word righteousness. When we say we want to get to know God better, we can equally say we need to know God's righteousness better. When we say we have faith in God, we should be saying we have faith in God's righteousness. We have a question about mm, the most common... Why do these bad things happen? not just to good people there are no good people, but here's a legit question. Why do these bad things happen to God's people? They happen bad things happen to God's people every day Jace bad things happen to God's people every day. The answer to that is trust in God's righteousness. trust that he's the one that's doing everything by the power of his righteousness and it's not it's not our righteousness, but we play a role in it. We play a role in this, but our role is not a righteous person so, We're gonna jump to the next miracle. And this is what we'll call the miracle of the new birth. I know it's not popular in the church to talk about being born again, but that's exactly what the Bible says. You must be born again. It doesn't say you must speak in tongues. It doesn't say you must be baptized, but it says you must be born again. The second miracle of the Holy Spirit is the miracle of the new birth, right? We all know we've become a new creation. Old things passed away, all things become new. So we'll talk about this miracle of the new birth. Let's assume that the way the altar of redemption is set up, and that's what we're talking about here this altar of redemption that Jesus Christ has set up in the world, and how the four horns work the faith and repentance, and the, um, we have law and grace and faith, repentance, and it works perfectly if we present the truth of unrighteousness and somebody says, Well, if I'm so evil and wicked, and it might be a good point, a good time to point this out. It's simply not enough. Evangelism is not telling people they're a sinner, and it's not telling people about Jesus. That is not evangelism. It's a part of it. Telling people they're a sinner doing doesn't get the job done. Just to tell you you're a sinner because you're going to come back to me and say, well, everybody's a sinner. And for me to say, well, you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You can keep rationalizing and justifying. What I have to unfortunately convince people of is there's nothing good that dwells in you. Not only are you a sinner, you're a wicked, evil, vile sinner capable of everything you've ever seen on the news. Every time we watch the news and we see the most heinous act and think, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. I'm appalled by that. Well, I think if you're honest, you'd say I'm appalled by the fact that I'm capable of some things that I would never think I was capable of. And we are. You put anybody in a situation to protect their families. Gosh, now, just put anybody in a situation where Donald Trump doesn't become president. You see people doing things you never dream a person was capable of, but they are capable of it, aren't they? And we're capable of some really heinous acts. So again, not enough to say you're a sinner and need Jesus. No, you're a wretch. You're unrighteous. Ethan, without Jesus, you can do nothing. You have zero hope in this world without Jesus Christ. Okay? So moving on to the second miracle, the new birth. There's a word the Bible uses that's pivotal to this. Uh, We find it over in Romans, and I believe chapter 4. I'm trying to make some notes here. We'll jump over there. And it's it's used of... Abraham in chapter 4. So get ready for... J. Huh? J word. Uh, Another one. What? I word. We're talking about righteousness. But we're talking about justification Mm. by faith. Yeah. But the word we're going to learn and use, which if there were 10 people or 10 million people listening to this podcast at some point... I would bet only a few small handful have ever heard this word. And if you have heard it, you have no idea really what it means. And the word's imputed. What we learn in Romans chapter 4 regarding the second miracle of righteousness regarding salvation is the word imputed. And specifically, it's imputed righteousness. you have already determined that righteousness is perfection. It's the ability to always know right from wrong and always make the right choice. True or false, Dylan, when you're redeemed and the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you, at that point, you have the divine ability living in you to always make the right choice every time. Is that power in you? Yes. I mean, the power is yes. You. yes. It's not the reality. It's true. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Ethan, it's true. If I were to say, yes. Ethan... You just got saved. The Holy Spirit is now in you. The Spirit of the living Christ is in you. The perfect righteous Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is in you. And now you have the ability to always know right from wrong and always make the right choice if you'll defer to Him. That's mm-hmm. a true statement.
1: Absolutely. So throughout the rest of my life, every time I said, every time I fall short, it will always be after I was presented with a choice and I could have chose
0: the right thing. You, you have the power Absolutely. to choose the right thing because yeah. you could say, I can't choose the right thing, but Jesus in me can. Right. Now, that's true, Dylan, but listen, it's not reality.
1: Right.
2: That's, what
0: you, what you, that's why I stopped because I'm like... <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yes, it's tricky.
2: Yes, it's there, yeah.
0: but like... But that's why we call it imputed righteousness because what happens is, and here's exactly what happens. So... Ethan goes into a church, and we call it the Lord's been dealing with him, and the conviction's coming, and he walks in on a Sunday morning, and Nate the preacher is presenting the gospel and saying, hey, you're dead in your sins, and we want you to be saved and know Jesus, and you can come forward, and you need to repent of your sins and receive the great gift of life. And Ethan says, I'm going to do that, man. The conviction's too much. I'm going to do that. And you go to the altar and you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I know I've sinned against you. I'm not sure what's going on here because you don't know what's going on. You're making a step of faith. And you say, Jesus, forgive me my sins and make my life worth living. That's the words I said when I got saved. Let me explain to you and try to get a mental picture of this. The moment that happens, Ethan, here's what goes on. You have a spirit in you, a dead spirit. When you walk to that altar, your spirit inside of you, your, your, your spirit's dead jesus christ the holy spirit jesus christ himself you can picture just picture a metal rod and your spirits the the cold metal rod and then all of a sudden jesus beautiful holy spirit kind of spins around that rod and becomes one in your spirit bible teaches this you become one with him he takes your spirit kind of wraps around like a snake would wrap around a coil and he takes your spirit and makes it alive and at that point you received what we would call the gift of salvation the gift of life, you've heard those terms, right? When you get saved, did you let me ask you something? When you got saved, Jace, did you receive the gift of life or a debt of life? I think it was a gift. I could say Pretty it sure it's a gift, it wasn't right? right? Yeah, and, and if I would have said to you now, Dylan or uh, Jace, in order for you to really be a Christian, you've got to do A, B, C, and D. You've got to, you've got to do any works. We won't mention all the different works that people can add on to this. If I tell you there's a work involved, it's no longer the gift of life. It's a debt of life. It's not a debt of life. It's a gift of life. Jesus Christ gives you a gift of life. We might call it the gift of salvation, right? Then we've heard that? God gave me the gift of salvation, but you know what he really gave you? He gave you the gift of righteousness. He imputed his own personal righteousness into your life and into your spirit. Now, Why is it absolutely necessary for us to trust in and receive the gift of Jesus Christ's righteousness to be redeemed? Why is that absolutely necessary? Why do we have to have Jesus' righteousness living in us?
1: So to backtrack into something you said earlier, just to make this make a little more sense or be applicable to everybody, you said it's okay to keep God's law. It's just not okay to trust keeping Mm -hmm. God's law. And people might hear that and go, okay, I'm not keeping God's law. Well, just to make that practically, that's the equivalent of anyone saying, well, I'm a good person. That's you're what that means. You're, you're trusting God's law. I'm a good mm-hmm. person. God's law says, be good, do good works. You say, I'm a good person. I don't need Christ. I'm fine. You're trusting God's law. That's what that means. There's nothing wrong with being a good person. There's nothing wrong with doing those things, quote unquote, a good person. There's nothing wrong with doing good things. There's there's something wrong with trusting those things. And what we need to approach is, is what are people trusting?
0: Well, that's yeah, the thing. Go ahead; you can. That's good. We covered back. that in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. very good. That's good. Yeah. Ethan wasn't here for the last episode. This is this is good banter, and yeah. we can jump back. That's why we're doing this. There's a big difference in trusting in God Himself and trusting in the power of God. For example, we talked about the two covenants, and we'll review this. I'm glad to do it. Mm-hmm. When you trust in God's law, when you trust in the Ten Commandments to 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 make you a good person, when you think the Ten Commandments are some sort of sin weakener. You are not trusting in God himself. You're trusting in the power of God's righteousness. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you're trusting in the man. You're trusting in God himself. And that moves us right to this point. The Ten Commandments cannot impute any righteousness in you whatsoever. They can only condemn you. The Ten Commandments have no power to make us righteous. They only have the power to prove us unrighteous. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the of the God of gods, he has the power to impute righteousness and and. And let you do righteous acts, Jace. Mm-hmm. and he gets the glory for it. You, you'll rarely hear anybody running around saying, "I accepted Moses as my savior." Will you? I've never heard that of you. Yeah. But I see people act like it every single day. Anybody trusting in the Ten Commandments is really—they've really accepted Moses as their savior, and they're trusting in dead works. And Moses would back me up on that. When I say I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm trusting in God Himself. I'm confessing that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's the only righteous man, and back to my question that we need to answer to to really understand the significance and to even get any remedial understanding of the second miracle of righteousness is the question of why does man? Why is it necessary for man to trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Well, without it, we we can't even come into the presence of yeah. God because we have none of our own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the reason we as Christians trust in the righteousness of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ is simply because we have no righteousness of our own to trust in. I can't say, well, I'm a pretty righteous guy. I can trust. I, I can keep this. great example is if you know about Christian scientists, like I think that's Tom Cruise and those guys are Christian scientists. Scientology. Scientology, Scientology yeah. sorry. They have a crazy doctrine where they only have to keep the, the, the commandments they can keep. If they have trouble committing adultery, you don't have to keep that one because you can't. You don't have to. You kind of pick and choose. That's a person trying to establish their own righteousness, and Paul would say it this way in Romans, going back to establish your own righteousness, you've rejected God's righteousness because you get that by faith. Mm-hmm. So back to the word imputed. Imputed is another word for lend. Imputed is another word for lend or lent. For example, those of you, hopefully on this podcast, that have been around church for a while, especially in finances, you'll hear a verse quoted, an obscure verse from Proverbs about uh, a borrower is a slave to the lender. You ever heard that, Mm -hmm. Dylan? I won't name drop here, but there's one guy who really wants to beat that like it's money, okay? It's not money. When the Bible says a borrower is a servant to the lender, he's not talking about money, He's talking about the fact that when Jace is redeemed and Jesus Christ imputes or lends you his righteousness to live an abundant life and a joyful life in this world, you're a slave to him who lent you that righteousness, right? That makes us slaves to Jesus Christ. When I knew that the day before I was redeemed, I had zero power in myself to overcome anything. I don't care how much willpower I desire. I could not stay away from Women, alcohol, I couldn't stay away from anything. The minute Jesus Christ lent me his righteousness, I could call on him, Ethan, and say, Jesus, deliver me from that, and he would. And I became a slave to the king who lent me his righteousness. Now listen, I'm going to read to you out of uh, chapter 4 here about Abraham. And it starts out in chapter 4. We'll start at verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calls those things which be not, just as though they were. Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, promised, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in his faith, he considered not his own body dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Let that sink in, because here's a result of that. We Most of us know the story of Abraham, and, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, actually, back in Galatians. We talked a little about Hagar and that, that whole deal of the, the covenants and how they look like they mocked and laughed at God and, and went into Hagar, but... Abraham here is lauded by God for his great faith. When, when Sarah's way past childbearing years, Abraham's way past childbearing years, he said, God's still going to come through. Yeah, I might have I, I wavered a little bit, but I'm keeping that promise. And look at verse 21. It says, in being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. When you read that verse, gang, when it says, and being fully persuaded that what God promised he was able also or also able to perform, that's the verse of trusting in God's righteousness. When God makes a promise and he's righteous and he's immutable, he cannot lie, we believe that and we stand firm on that. And verse 22 helps us with our study today. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, it was accredited to him, accounted to him, and imputed to him as righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom shall it be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. The second miracle, and I know it sounds a little more complex than what you hear in the church, but this we're just telling you what happens when people get saved. You don't know this when you get saved. Taking years to learn this stuff, but it's recorded in the book. But when a person's when a person is saved, they are lent. They are given and imputed and lent the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that's what we depend on, right? And that's a miracle that that God Almighty can take an unrighteous, wretched man with zero good in them at all, zero good. Listen to me, if if. If God could search your heart, Ethan, and find one shred of true goodness, Jesus didn't have to die. He couldn't find anything else to do, so he had to send his son to die, correct? It's, it's recorded in the scripture that if God could have found another way to redeem man without sending his son, he'd have found it. But listen, he needed righteousness, and there was none. He looks and says, I've declared them all unrighteous. Again, recorded in Romans, I'll just declare it all unrighteous, and I'll save you all the same way. So by us receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's just another way of saying we're going to receive God's righteousness into our lives. We're not going to trust on our own righteousness because we have none. We're going to trust in Jesus Christ, who the Bible says was the sent righteousness of God. So I know we're talking about righteousness a lot because that's what the study's about, the trilogy on righteousness, and I hope it wears you out. But I hope it wears you out to the point where every sermon you hear And every false prophet and false teacher and false preacher you hear that are trying to convince you that you've got some goodness in you, whether you've never been redeemed, been redeemed one day or 1,000, anybody trying to convince you that you have your own righteousness is lying to you. We want to protect you from that and say, no, 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 that's not my righteousness, that's Jesus Christ, because here's the difference. If you've been saved for five years, Jace, and you decide to go over to the mission field, and you've decided, you know what, I've been walking the Lord for five years, and um, there are some verses in there, I'm the righteousness of God in me, and I've got my own righteousness now, and I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go to the mission field, and I'm going to save some souls. Who's going to get the glory for that? Jason getting the glory for it because he's doing the I am righteous thing. Okay. No, who gets the glory for that? Jesus Christ gets the glory for that. You're only over there because of his righteousness, not your own. Do not be confused. You, you, may, you ask the question, I'm getting there. People that are sitting in churches confused a little bit or, I don't know, insecure about their salvation. Okay, I'll say this. You're insecure about your salvation because you're not knowledgeable of righteousness. The more you know of righteousness, the more secure you become in trusting in God's righteousness. You don't have those issues anymore because you've got two schools of thought. You've got the once saved, always saved, which is just another way of saying that we're going to take all power of God's righteousness away by destroying his immutability and... Does God change? Let me ask you a question. The minute you're saved, does my God change? Does he look at sin differently after Ethan's saved? He can't. He cannot, Jace. God cannot look at sin any differently after a person's redeemed. Actually, it's worse for you. After I'm redeemed and I know that the things I did were wrong, I know that. The penalty is even harsher for me because I do it out of knowledge. I do the Mm -hmm. sin of the high hand, right? Mm -hmm. Then you got the other side of the coin, the way other side, The free will people who will tell you that okay you come in on sunday and you accept jesus christ as your lord and savior and you're saved but then you go home and you're a woman you put on the wrong pair of pants oh yeah i get saved again okay my god's no fool Mm -hmm. and here it is it's just two sides of the same coin it's people trying to trust in their own works besides saying no from now on i set my face towards learning and gaining knowledge of jesus christ and his righteousness, not my own. It's dying to ourself every single day. And I will say this. I'll go on record. You're eternally secure as long as you're eternally committed. There's no question about that. But don't try to sell me on this line of goods that you can do whatever you want, live however you want. God won't mind because my God is righteous. He's immutable. He's got to mind. He has to mind. I don't know at what point he says, I've had enough, but we sit here to tell you you're eternally secure as long as you're eternally committed. Our goal is to get you eternally committed by learning of these things. So, any questions or comments about imputed righteousness? Because that's number two miracle. And we got about five minutes for number three. All right. So, so far, so good. Uh, coming to the end of our trilogy on righteousness, uh, just a quick little recap. We define righteousness, the two great powers of God's righteousness. Now we're in the third of the three miracles of righteousness uh, necessary for salvation. And this will be the most controversial and uh, I guess uncommon as we talk about this third miracle. And some of you probably know it as sanctification. Um, we think about sanctification, boy. We could we could get a load, load of books on sanctification and what what really are the I don't know requirements of sanctification. What's God to expect from us? And man, there's a lot of controversy about that. But we're going to use another term because we're doing our trilogy on righteousness, and this whole theme is righteousness we're going to refer to the miracle that God performs and the gift, the charisma that he gives us after he convicts us of our unrighteousness, convicts us of sin, and the Holy Spirit is the facilitator of our new birth. We're a new creation. Old things passed away. All things become new. Then there's another power of righteousness that we have, that is our power of sanctification and living the Christian life of living the fullness and the wonderfulness of the Christian life. And we're going to call that the indwelling righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you've got the imputed righteousness that, and back to Jace justifies you. The imputed righteousness satisfies God's requirement of not, not having to kill an unrighteous man. That's what it does. So jesus imputes his righteousness and god says i can't i don't have to kill jace because he's got righteousness he's got jesus he imputes that and that justifies you right jace that's Mm -hmm. what justification by faith is justification by faith is god's acknowledging that you have the imputed righteousness of his son in you and he does not have to kill you for your sin i know that sounds pretty morbid but it's true the wages of sin is the wages of sin is death the gift of God's righteousness is eternal life. When we see gift, we should think gift of righteousness. That's what you should think. When the Bible says anything a gift, you should be thinking a gift of spiritual gift, spiritual gifts of righteousness, spiritual gift of righteousness, because it's to edify, it's to build us up in righteousness and perfection. For the edifying, of, for the perfection, we're edifying. I can't stress enough as we close this how important that word righteousness is. I would make some crazy statement of you cannot live a victorious Christian life and not be schooled in righteousness. I would make that statement. You simply cannot do it. You can kind of go around the edges a little bit and find it once in a while here and there, but until you're really grounded in the truth of God's righteousness, you can't live a victorious Christian life. You're just too confused because you're always stuck between is it me doing it or God doing it? What's God doing? What's the preacher doing? No, it's all being done. All things are done by the power of God's righteousness. If if Preacher Joe preaches the best sermon ever and gets 92 souls saved, he preached that sermon by the power of God's righteousness. The 92, 92 souls are saved by the power of God's righteousness, and they stay saved by the power of God's righteousness. Your question about what about all these insecurities when you're saved and this and that? Great question. You're convicted. To be saved by the power of god's righteousness you're saved by the power of god's righteousness how do you think you're kept in grace i'm going
2: to go and say the power of god's right ah, i think
0: it's a good guess we're going to go and say you're, you're you stay in the body by the power of god's righteousness we're saved by trusting in god we're kept by trusting in god it's the only power that exists there's only death in self and life in god's righteousness that's all there is so as we go to chapter 8 of romans and we're doing a lot of action out of Romans because Romans is the book of justification by faith. Romans is the book, if you look at Galatians, Galatians is like the legal brief that Paul wrote defending salvation by grace, by righteousness. When Paul wrote Romans, he is proving and testifying and teaching in the true sense of the word Word about righteousness by faith and how important that is. So here we go in chapter 8 verse 5 says this. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are of the spirit, I'm sorry, they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, and that's carnal words about ravaging flesh. The carnal word is about we look at something we want to ravage that. Uh, it's it's the just I mean uninhibited, insatiable lust for fleshly desires, to be carnal. To have your mind set on carnal things is to be dead. It's devastation. But to be spiritual mind is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity. It's an, it's an enemy of God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So even a Christian who is carnal and is doing carnal fleshly things, can't please God like that. You can't please God by running around doing justifying carnal things in the flesh. You can't run around saying, well, you know what? I, I know I've, I, I've cheated 14 times on, on my wife, but, you know, God's got to deal with that. God God's say, no, that's carnal stuff. You can't please God doing that. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, catch that? The spirit of God dwell in you. What's that sound like? If I were to say Jesus Christ has saved you, Jace, and just God has justified you because he imputed and gave you a burst of his righteousness. And then I say here in Romans, um, but you're not in the flesh in the spirit If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. What's that sound like? If the spirit of God dwell in you, it sounds something like indwelling righteousness, doesn't it? Listen, when you see the word Spirit, especially the capital S, you should just immediately think of, oh, Spirit, the imputed indwelling righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. The Holy Spirit and the indwelling righteousness are the same person, not the same thing, don't they? They're the same person. The Holy Spirit's job is to continually minister the love that Jesus has for you, Ethan. That's his one. Of all the works of the Holy Spirit, The one work that trumps every work and is the center of every work is him continuously reminding and telling you how much Jesus loves you. He loved you so much that he's sharing his divine nature with you. That's pretty good, right? When you get married someday, when these boys got married and they consummated their marriage, they shared in each other, didn't they? One flesh, two flesh became one, didn't it? That's a pretty serious thing, isn't it, Jace? Yeah. It's exactly what Jesus did for you. You're sharing in his divine nature. You are married to one. You're sharing his divine nature. So when we look at the third miracle of indwelling righteousness, that's what we're talking about. The spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And there's a miracle that occurs and should occur on pretty much a minute by minute, every five minute basis for a believer. And here's what it is, practically put. So I've been saved for two weeks I was living with this girl and having sex with her three times a day. I really like this girl. I'm probably in love with the girl. I don't know what to do with this girl, and I really want to keep. I want to be a Christian. I know something's happened, but I really don't want to get rid of her. I want to just push her aside, but I know it's wrong to be having sex with her all the time. But my my flesh can't handle it. That's what my flesh wants so bad. So I got to figure out a way, Ethan, to keep having sex with my girlfriend and still be a Christian, or we'll call it a Christ follower, a carnal cross Christ follower. I got to figure out a way. Well, here's a good way. You know what? Go talk to the priest. He's getting married marry and everything's fine oh good that gives me a way to have sex with her all the time i just marry her okay that's probably not a good plan is it is it is that a good plan is that good advice ethan if i ever give you that advice kill me that's not good advice gang it's not good advice to tell somebody let's fulfill the lust of your flesh in the sacred marriage covenant when it's still lust of your flesh and we'll find a way around the weakness of your flesh we're going to we're going to start you out ethan by finding a way around the third miracle of indwelling righteousness I got an idea for you. Hey, Sally, I love you dearly. I'm probably deeply in love with you. It's not good that we have sex anymore because that's fornication and sinful. We all know that. It's probably not even good we live together anymore. We need to get on our knees and pray that the, the power of righteousness and dwelling in me, or hopefully us at that point, mm-hmm. can make us, we don't have to have sex all the time. We can go out on a date and hold hands once in a while and work towards a godly relationship. That's trusting in the indwelling righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not trusting would be, Jace, I know you like her a lot. like you have sex with her, so I'm going to marry you tomorrow. That's in the same lane of, hey, we're getting (laughs) baptized tomorrow. Anybody else want to raise your hand and get baptized? Stupid. (laughs) It's stupidity. You don't do that. We need to learn how to trust in this indwelling righteousness within us. Correct? So if I were to define sanctification, I'll give you a very simple definition. Sanctification is, is the process, I'll allow for the word process, of learning how to trust in the indwelling righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life. you got to learn how to trust in that, don't you? If we're going to have patience, what do we have to do? Learn how to trust in the indwelling patience of Jesus Christ in our lives, which is another way of saying trust in his righteousness. My Lord is patient, long-suffering. You're going to be long-suffering. How are you going to do it? You're going to learn to trust in the indwelling power of righteousness Which one of the beautiful attributes of righteousness is long-suffering, temperance, patience, the whole nine. You guys know the list, right? Mm -hmm. But you see the difference in that miracle it takes. Now, that's a daily miracle. That's almost a—it's not just daily. It's really minute by minute. Every day of your life, Ethan, God imputes righteousness, and he saves your soul. And he says, let's get to work, son because I'm in you now. Now we're going to grab our shovels and grab let's get to work and let's let's walk out our salvation. Let's walk out this indwelling righteousness. Does that make sense in your guys lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's important. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because what we try to do is the world especially and the church is really just they're they're just driving the same train on a different track of the world trying to find all these other ways to get around suffering through, enduring through. It's what we used to call the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine of the perseverance was learning how to learning how to push our flesh aside and trust in the spirit of Jesus Christ in us. And that means, you know what, Ethan, if you came to me and said, hey, I just got saved, I got this girlfriend, I really love her. So first of all, let's try to win her to the Lord, obviously. But for right now, I say get rid of her, but you can't keep living with her. You can't be having sex with her. But here's how we're going to trust in the indwelling righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're going to let him decide this. You're going to do what you need to do and separate a little bit and let him make that decision because, frankly, son, you can't. I can't make it. The preacher can't make it. The pope can't make it. Only Jesus Christ gets to make those decisions, right? So sanctification is, again, I'm not going to call it really the process. It's the grievousness. Is a good word. It's the grievousness. Of letting Jesus Christ make these decisions in your life and here's the thing you're gonna find he doesn't do it quick he doesn't lay it down like a Sunday sermon he's like I'll tell you how much you can handle and I'll let you know when you can't handle anymore then I'll take over for a minute and I'm throwing you back in there okay that's how you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ now people don't learn if we don't take people that are saved Ethan and teach them about righteousness in general what happened to them and now what's getting ready to happen they're gonna be really confused There's no big secret where these doctrines come from, this hyper-grace garbage comes from. They don't know about righteousness. Jesus would sit right here and say, if we could teach them about righteousness, it wouldn't have this nonsense going on. But they don't know about righteousness. They don't know about the power of God, Jace. They only know about the power of man and how they can grab God and put him in the power of man. That's not how it works. You know, to get back to one of the controversial issues we dealt with in uh, in this trilogy, and I hope it was controversial, the power of righteousness. Ten commandments or Jesus Christ? People should. If you're if you're really sharp, you come to me and say, "Well, Jesus Christ kept the Ten Commandments. Is that true, mm-hmm. Dylan? Is that true? Did Jesus yeah. Christ keep the Ten Commandments perfectly? Yeah. Well, that's what he did. And I'm a Christ follower, Ethan. If he's doing it, I'm doing it. Is that legitimate? Is that a legitimate intellectual argument? No, sir. It's not. No. Tell me why.
1: Because Jesus Christ was perfect, and no one has kept the Ten Commandments perfectly their entire huh? lives. Except him.
0: Except Jesus. If somebody comes to me and says, now, Jim, I've been studying a lot of religions, and, and Jesus made it clear. It was clear that Jesus, I agree, Jesus was a perfect man and never broke any of God's law and Ten Commandments. I'm going to live the same way. What's the flaw in that reasoning? They already have broken it. Yeah, it. but what's the fundamental flaw? If somebody comes to me and says, well, Jesus kept the Ten Commandments, and I'm a Christ... I hear this in churches. I'm a Christ follower, mm-hmm. and Jesus kept the Ten Commandments, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. What's the flaw?
1: I mean, we're it's not an trust. open book it's test. not trusting in Christ or trusting okay. in the Ten Commandments.
0: Yeah, the difference is Jesus works. Christ was a righteous man. Listen, listen very closely. Jesus Christ did not keep the Ten Commandments by the power of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. He kept it by the power of his own righteousness.
1: The t- keeping the Ten Commandments was a fruit of Christ's righteousness, not yes, because a gold. they were Him. Good way to put it.
0: That's a very good way to put it. Say that again.
1: Keeping the Ten Commandments was a fruit of Jesus Christ's righteousness. And in the same way, it will be a fruit of ours too. Now, not to the same extent that it was for Him, because we still have flesh and we are still unrighteous. In our flesh, and we still are fighting that we're still at war, and we will be until we're dead and resurrected. But mm-hmm. a part of that is sanctification is training to failure. So, unfortunately, that's a part of how we find out what we can and can't handle is yeah. we fail. And but you're you,
0: you, yeah. you're right. you stopped right there. We yeah. we today in my life, if I go out and say, you know what, I have a great opportunity to lie and make a bunch of money. No, Lord, I won't do that. I know it's wrong, and I need you to deliver me from that. At that point, I am keeping the law of, of do not lie by the power of Jesus' righteousness, mm-hmm. not my own.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Now and he that, gets the glory for it.
0: He gets the glory for it. Because I have to acknowledge daily, listen, I'm still an unrighteous person. I've been saved 20-some years. I am still an unrighteous person. Left to my own resolve, I will show you unrighteousness. And that's true with a lot of religious people, a lot of redeemed people who get tricked into trusting their own righteousness again, become some of the most angry and cruel, bitter, vindictive people you ever meet in your life. Because the vomit calls it a dog going back to its own vomit. You don't go back to that sinful legalism. You're not listen, you've done nothing more today, Dylan, you did 20 years ago about your salvation. Nothing. You might know a little more about Jesus' righteousness and how to how to trust in it more. But you can't take one shred of glory more today than we did 20 years ago. It cannot happen. So that's, that's very well said, because that's really the truth of it. When when those statements remain in this Scripture, you are now the righteousness of God in Him in Christ. That's what it's saying. It's the way God looks at you. But we are trusting fully in the righteousness and perfection of God Himself, not ourselves. And you cannot. We don't want you, guys anybody listening to this, or don't get tricked into trusting in yourself. It's exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to take glory away from God. Satan's the happiest when good things are being done and we're taking the glory for it with God's people.
2: So give us a a recap. We've got the three miracles of salvation by God's righteousness. Give us a recap, one, two, and three. Okay.
0: So the three miracles uh, of righteousness concerning a believer, we'll call it, or salvation or believer, is one, the conviction of unrighteousness. So the Holy Spirit convicts man that he has no righteousness to depend on of his, of his own. The second miracle is the miracle of the new birth, the born-again experience. We should start saying more about the born-again experience than being saved or anything like that. It's the born-again experience of us becoming one with Christ. And the third continuous miracle is the miracle of sanctification, or what we like to call the indwelling righteousness Jesus Christ and we'll call that one you know what the hey you want to take a guess what the church what the church unknowingly calls the miracle of indwelling righteousness what they refer to it as
2: what
0: spiritual warfare they call it spiritual warfare in the sense we're gonna pray and do this and do charismatic things no spiritual warfare is really the truth of the indwelling righteousness of Jesus Christ What's recorded in Romans that the power of righteousness in your spirit of Jesus Christ has to overcome your desires of the flesh. Who in the world thinks they have any power to bind a devil? Do we have no power. It takes the power of righteousness to do that. I don't have any righteousness. I must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I hesitate. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, well, that concludes um, our trilogy on righteousness. I hope you enjoyed that. But more than anything, I hope it stirred up some controversy and questions because we are... We're waiting for it. Um, so, fight the good fight 10 at yahoo.com. Um, email whatever you want. Uh, fight the good Is it the fight? Or? It's fight the good fight Bible
2: podcast. Yes,
0: yeah. fight the good fight Bible podcast. And we'll ask you to, if you think it's something that would edify a friend or something, we're not asking you to share things just for the sake of getting followers or sharing things. We couldn't care less about that. But, if it's something that edifies or you think it would be good for somebody, uh, feel free to share it and comment. I guess you can comment on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. too. So, yep. uh, God bless you. Uh, God is righteous. We are not. Amen.
2: Amen.